Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Trojans on Pac-12 South Life Support System. Now what? Pac-12 Conference Midterm. Improving the Coliseum atmosphere. How does this USC season compare with the last 10 seasons? How does this week's bye week help the Trojans in getting ready for Notre Dame on October 23rd? And of course, our always popular predicting this week's Pac-12 conference game. Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to We RSC's Inside the Trojans Huddle, week number seven. Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion with WeRSC columnists and staff writers. Now let's start off with the pregame show, which means we meet our panelists for this week. Mark Culkin, WeRSC columnist who writes the much-viewed Monday's Morass, yay or nay, and Sunday takeaways in addition to practice reports. Kevin Bruce, former all-conference linebacker and team captain for the 1975 USC Trojans. He's a WeRSC columnist who writes defensively and offensively speaking after every USC game. Eric McKenney, publisher and editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com. And my name is Greg Katz. I write the WeRSC columns of the obvious and the not-so-obvious and IMHO Sunday. Well, guys, that was the pregame exercise. It's time to get into it. The first quarter. Your panel's thoughts on the Utah game, and what now? All right, let's start off with Eric McKinney. The Utah game was the Stanford game, was the Oregon State game. It's it's the same thing you're seeing here. And, and at this point, I mean, at, you saw the game, and, and I'll let kind of people go into that and, and break that down if they want. But looking forward, you talk about what now. I I don't know what now. I don't know if the coaches know what now. I don't, I don't know if the players know know what now. You, you kind of are in this area, at, you know, to, to kind of use a baseball uh, comparison where you've pulled your starter in the first inning, and now you got to figure out how to get, have your bullpen get all the way through the rest of it, and you're kind of dealing with what you have coming into that game for USC coming into that season. So it, it's going to be sort of all hands on deck and, and trying to figure out as you move forward. But th- this is a, a pattern that we're seeing now. And, and it's kind of goes down to the, the core uh, of this USC program right now. I, I think Utah came out and did everything they wanted to do offensively against USC. It's the same USC offensive issues that are cropping up, not being able to score uh, touchdowns in the red zone, not a lot of big plays, um, on offense, some hesitancy with the run game and, and not being able to really make the passing game fluid, even though you finished with 400 yards and you look at the total yards and, and you're okay with that. But the score is is what it was. So, again, it, it's it's the same things that we've been seeing. I don't think this Utah game provided us with any sort of new thoughts or, or commentary or anything about the team. Okay. All right, Kevin, welcome back. Good to see your happy face there. 
So uh, let's right. hear your happy thoughts on the Utah game and uh, what now, my friend? <clears throat> well, look, um, it uh, just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it does. And uh, they actually did play poorer than uh, some of the other beatdowns that took place. So um, regrettable to have to be the bearer of that uh, breaking story, but uh, there it is. Um, this is a matter of triage now, right? So what's important is to identify the, some pieces and parts that can be identified and improved upon. You're not going to boil the ocean here. Uh, this team is not going to get good, uh, for frankly, probably for the rest of the season. It just needs to get better, right? And it's it starts with uh, each player, um, you know, you know, trying to do an assignment that they understand. I think the first piece would be to uh, understand, uh, you know, what those assignments are. Uh, the coaching staff has got to figure out how to put some pieces in place. I'll tell you that the, while the offense was uh, disappointing on Saturday, the defense obviously is, is the critical component here. Some of the offensive uh, shortcomings are driving the, um, uh, some of the defensive pressure, but uh, the, the pressure on the defense, but the defense is absolutely falling apart. And uh, there's a number of different issues. I won't get into it now. Maybe we will later, maybe we won't, but, um, there are some areas there that can be improved, but whether it's adequate enough to uh, produce a, a winning uh, record for the season, I don't know. Right now, I'd say it, it is not. Okay, well, all right. And we saved, of course, uh, our third uh, comment will come from uh, Mr. L.A. Uh, Mark Culkin, are you ready? I'm Set, ready. pontificate. Yeah. So, Eric, first of all, well, there's no reason to get nasty and bring up the Dave Roberts analogy of pulling a pick too early. We had a record. I, I never specifically said anybody, but I I'm going to take that. I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and to use one of Kevin's words, it was it was disappointing. Um, to see another slow start on offense, the lack of creativity, <clears throat> the overuse of Drake London, uh, the underuse of Darwin Barlow. I mean, this is the guy who, when he got on the field, you saw the offense start to move. I, I believe they scored a touchdown on that drive. Uh, you know, we can bring up the red zone deficiency again. You, you kind of know you're in for a long day when Mr. Consistency, Mr. Perfect, um, Parker Lewis misses a chippy. And, you know, I can go into some details about that as well, maybe a little bit later uh, when you – you know, when you kind of bring the attention to the referee that, hey, this ball's a little underinflated, that might have a, that might play a part in, in, in how things play out. Um, so, yeah, those things go on. Uh, I know, I know this bothered Kevin a lot. It bothered me even more. And I didn't play for USC, was watching the defense, uh, the lack of no adjustment, the lack of no Max Gibbs. I mean, you, you work the guy out all week with first team, second team reps, and all you're going to do is roll them out there to maybe block a point after attempt. Um, to me, <clears throat> the players see this. I see this. Uh, there's no trust uh, among that team right now. So when, <clears throat> when you don't have any trust, um, there's going to be a lack of desire. There's going to be a lack of pride. And you're going to see 
three straight butt kickings at home. Um, I mean, to give up 40 plus points, three consecutive home games, that's unheard of. It's never happened. Till this year. Well, there's still time to do it on the road. Yeah, well, ironically, they play better on the road, and that's what's they haven't, so they haven't played. They haven't played the teams. They're, they haven't played Absolutely. the teams. They're going to play. Notre Dame coming, maybe. Come on, geez. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not arguing. I guess I mean, as far as this goes, the five stages of grief. I'm still in denial when they're on the road. I've come to full acceptance overall with this team, though. So, yeah, as far as going forward, who knows? Just, you know, grab on and hold tight and let's write it out. Well, as you can tell, I have a phone call uh, sound. That's our new sound, by the way, if you have talked beyond your your a minute and 30 or two minute uh, warning there. So uh, uh, I appreciate whoever that was uh, uh, trying to give us a hint to move on. But I will uh, kind of wrap it up a little <laughs> bit by saying... Um, you know, this team is what it is after six games. Nothing surprises me. Nothing shocks me. Uh, do I think it's going to get better? I don't know why it would get better. It's the same players. It's the same coaches. And that's not to put a, a negative view on it of a bad situation. But the uh, bottom line to it is uh, where they go from here, they're going to have to look uh, inside themselves uh, I predicted uh, in the first quarter and a half uh, by uh, how physical USC was going to be, where they're going to match up with Utah. And Utah sensed, and judging by the quotes afterwards by Kyle Whittingham, the Utah coach, we knew that if we got into the second half, uh, we could basically punch our way through these guys. And they did. Uh, I think it's disappointing for the people that attended the game that they had to come to their third consecutive. Really, it's four games that SC has lost uh, in the Coliseum. If you don't, I mean, I count last year's uh, no attendance for the championship game as a loss in the Coliseum. But with attendance, uh, you know, they, I mean, it's how disappointing it could be. I had many people tell me that the new annual ritual isn't the lighting of the torch to begin the fourth quarter in the Coliseum. It's the beginning of starting your car in the parking lot to head home after the third quarter. And that is a rather disturbing thought. So, you know what, uh, where we go from here now, what, uh, that's going to be up to these coaches and these players to decide. Uh, I think everything that the panel has said is certainly noteworthy and spot on. Uh, but at this point in time, it's about the future. There are six games left. What do they want to do with it? Uh, I mean, it's conceivable now, and I'll wrap this portion up. It's conceivable that they could not be bowl eligible. And again, that could be a blessing, actually, if that's the way things are going. So with that, we will move on now to the second quarter, which uh, gives us kind of a different outlook on how things are going. Oh, that was a week, Bill. I'm doing it again. There we go. Uh Let's take a look at the first half of the Pac-12 season at this point, and I will, for our viewers, our listeners, and for our panel, let's kind of go over where the standings reside. Well, in the North Division, Oregon State is atop the pack at 2-1 and one, uh, in conference, 4-2 overall. Stanford is second, 2-2, two 3-3 two, uh, three and three overall. Washington State, surprisingly, 2-2, two and two, 
three and three overall. Oregon, one and one in conference, four and one overall. Washington, one and oh, uh, two and three overall in California, oh and two and one and four in uh, overall. The Pac 12 South, uh, ASU, not surprisingly, is three and oh, five and one overall. Utah, two and oh, uh, three and two overall. UCLA is two and one, four and two overall. USC, uh, two and three in conference, three and three overall. Arizona, 0 and one, 0 and four in uh, overall. And Colorado is 0 and two, one and four. The standings are based on conference wins first, then overall. So uh, a little bit of a long uh, dissertation on where we are, but I wanted to make sure everybody was clear on how things were looking. So, Mark, you were really on a roll there at the end, and I don't want to take away from that uh, that momentum that you're carrying. So what is your overall feelings on how you see the Pac-12 uh, at this point? Uh, any surprises? Any disappointments? Your call. Um, no, there's no surprises. The Pac-12 is just a much better version of what it is, and that's just a better version of crap right now. Um like you'd mentioned, Oregon State is at the top of the North Division. And while that's kind of cool, uh, no one really anticipated that. Um, Oregon is going to, you know, have a few more wins, but what are they going to do this year? They're they're on the – they got more injuries than they know what to do with. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about the Pac-12. It's, it's horrible. It's just it's a it's a it's a conference of mediocrity, and you know the 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 bell cows, USC is going is trending down. Um, no one anticipates anything from this conference overall, so it's I, I don't know what to, how to answer that question other than fortunately USC has got a lot of their conference games out of the way, and they still have two more out of conference games compared to conference games. So maybe that's something to look forward to. <laughs> All right. With that positive uh, outlook by uh, young Mr. Culkin, let's let's go to Eric. Your thoughts, sir? Yeah, the Pac-12 is the Pac-12. I, I mean, I think this is kind of what, what everybody expected coming in. I will say for, for USC, it, it doesn't matter how bad the Pac-12 is. You, you look at Oregon this year. If Oregon had beat Stanford, they'd be, what, number two in the country right now? We've seen that you can be a really great team in a really bad conference and get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to national rankings and, and that sort of thing. So I, I don't really – I don't pay much attention to how good the conference is because if you're good, if, if you're a good program, if you're a good team, you can still resonate nationally. And, and that's something that USC, I think – that's all they have to focus on. As far as the conference, you know, like you said, you've got two undefeated teams still in the conference. You have no undefeated teams overall looking at their overall record. It's, you know, it's fun when there's an Oregon state story, but people don't take you seriously nationally for an Oregon state story. I mean, that that's not something you've got kind of Kentucky in the sec, maybe doing something like that, but there's Georgia down there. There's still Alabama down there. You, you can't let a program like Oregon state, having a slightly surprising year sort of lead the national headlines uh, for your conference. I, I think at this point, kind of watching what Arizona state does compared to what's going on off the field with them and, and NCAA 
potential violations and, and certainly looking into what's going on there. That might be kind of the most interesting story, that, that juxtaposition of that cloud hanging over them and then still, you know, shooting out to a five and one start three and zero in conference. But ultimately, and, and I know for us, when USC is having the season, it's happening right now. I, how the Pac-12 is doing to me is, is you know, fit rate story in, in terms of looking at that. Well, I think that we can all agree on that. <laughs> yes. All right. So we have come to that uh, uh, perspective from our editor-in-chief. Now let's go to our uh, resident uh, USC former football captain, uh, Kevin. Now you have had a chance to look at this Pac-12 uh, this season. Your summation of where we are in the first half of the season. I think the biggest surprise for me is how well ASU is playing. And there may be a cloud hanging over their heads. They're not playing like it. I don't think actually the players even think about it. The coaches might in terms of gainful employment downstream, I suppose. But they're playing really good football. And I give them credit for that. That's pretty interesting, I think. Uh, that's a bit of a surprise to me. I thought they would, uh, they would show some uh, jinks in the armor. And there's still time for that. But they play some good football. Good for them. Um, the other surprise is how poorly we played. I did, I did not expect our team to be this bad. And, uh, I, I had to laugh when, uh, I think, I forget if it was Mark or somebody said it. we got two, two road games left and, you know, there's, there's, there's some, there's some excitement potential there. Look, I'm not excited about us going to South Bend in a week and a half. And I'm not excited about playing BYU. I guess that's a home game, I suppose, but whatever. Um, I, I'm just, I, I can't see what this team is doing and, uh, get excited about, you know, t this, this season, what I can get excited about, I will get excited about the appropriate time is what happens on, on the go forward basis with respect to how that impacts the Pac-12. It's a big deal because as Eric, as you said, USC should be, you know, one of the marquee, uh, programs that does get national attention, whether it likes it or not. Right now it gets national attention as frankly a laughing stock in terms of the, the play that they're putting out on the field. Um, so other than that, I don't uh, have a real good opinion. on. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I am going to take a step away from the USC uh, perspective and just talk as a, uh, just a purveyor of the uh, PAC 12 you know, I'm, I'm excited to see Oregon State doing well. Uh, you know, I was hoping they would beat uh, Washington State, which they didn't. Uh, I loved how people were saying Stanford is going down with the ship and Shaw isn't a good coach because he is. And now they've rallied. They're, they're second in the north. Um, I'm kind of glad that Oregon has been exposed as being uh, uh, talented but questionable game management. Uh, Washington looked like they were going downhill, uh, but uh, they have kind of rallied. We'll find out what they're all about uh, against UCLA this weekend. And Cal, I think, is uh, – how shall I compliment Cal? Cal is being Cal. Uh, they play defense. They can't really score all that much. You know, in terms of the Pac-12 South, uh, nothing has shocked me. ASU, I thought, was the best talented team. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the next uh, month and a half or so if they drop the NCAA drops the big bomb on their program for the 
recruiting violations during the COVID dead period. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say that I am kind of got a soft spot here for Utah because they've had such tragedy within the last year that somehow it always seems to me that when teams have real tragedy, the football gods step in and make it a bittersweet year. So if they won the Pac-12 South, I would be happy for them given their situation. UCLA, of course, needs to win for Chip Kelly because that could be a real hornet's nest for them in Westwood, depending on what's going to happen with his status. I mean, Arizona, okay, the bubble has popped. You're, you're bad. Colorado, you're bad. I don't see how Durrell is going to last there, but that's just my opinion. And as far as the Trojans are concerned, look, they are what they are. And, uh, you know, I uh, go along with uh, my colleagues here and saying that, you know what, uh, USC mathematically may still be in this race, but they're really uh, put a fork in them. I think they're done, but that doesn't mean they're done finishing the season uh, on an up note. I just saw that uh, some people are saying they're going to play Fresno State in the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl uh, at the end of the season uh, at the new SoFi Stadium. So that would be something for them to shoot for. Uh, I'm sure the players could get up for playing in an NFL stadium. But uh, all in all, I think the Pac-12 has morphed itself into the uh, bastard child of um, the Mountain West Conference. All right, let's move on to halftime. So we've got all this stuff going on with SC on the field. But, guys, what do you think uh, you would do to enhance the Coliseum atmosphere at home games? Let's try to, you know, aside from the, hey, have a better team, have a better record. What would you do or don't do uh, for the Coliseum? And I know, Kevin, you're, you're out there in the Dallas area right now, but you've been to enough games and have experienced them. Uh, you know, when we get to your thoughts, uh, guys, try to figure out what can you do to enhance the the atmosphere for the fans. So, Kevin, since I brought your name up, and I do want to apologize, some of your feed is now looks like it's good, Kevin. It was freezing up a little bit. Uh, for those of you on the podcast, it doesn't mean anything. Those of you that were watching, it's not your computer, uh, so don't don't have a, a meltdown on it. Uh, but it looks like it's fixed now, and that's good news. And so, Kevin, give us some good news. How would how would you change the atmosphere? the torch in the first quarter <laughs> that could be fun I, i'd like to see the um i'd like to see the uh more of the horse uh i'm just you know old school kind of guy i just think that uh the horse got out there uh you know saturday for a wee bit and that was nice to see uh fans enjoy that and uh i think that's uh, uh it's a nice touch it's a trojan touch um and uh, uh, I think you get a benefit out of that. I'll stay away from, you know, team performance because, you know, that was your stipulation. Uh, but clearly, you know, having a, a competitive product on the field uh, would certainly uh, always steps up the enjoyment for fans in the, uh, in the stands. I noticed the um, uh, attendance was, was recorded at 51 plus thousand on, uh, on Saturday. And that's, uh, Second highest of the year. All right. Well, okay. Now that was some interesting uh, perspectives there. Uh, Mark, you were uh, in the press box. You've been a regular for decades. Uh, what would you do to change the atmosphere inside the old Collie? Uh, first, not to really correct Kevin, but the announced crowd was 54,088. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, pay crowd was fifty one thousand. Pay crowd fifty one thousand. Yeah, it was bad. Um, but to Greg's larger question, uh, number one, bring back the fan experience, um, which oh, yeah. seems like USC has gone the opposite direction. Tailgating is almost non-existent. Um, for anybody who you know walks around pregame, you know on campus there's a little bit more activity. Um, the South Lawn, which used to be coveted ground, is basically empty ground now. You walk by, you know, the the, the recruit tailgates, the the parents tailgates. These places are just graveyards. Um, so I guess the first thing is they need to work on their messaging. Uh, Eric and I spoke about this. You know, Carson Palmer was being honored uh, during the beginning of the game for his induction to the College Football Hall of Fame. The way the team comes out of the tunnel, it just seems like it's it's very piecemeal together. And we look at each other, hey, you know what? Maybe they'll, they'll play a little bit of Lose Yourself from Eminem, the old school Trojan entrance. They did. Twice. Later. After the team was already on the field. It's just, they can't. USC has a lot of great ideas, but they just can't seem to get them all on the same page and pointed in the right direction. So again, aside from winning and being competitive on the field, uh, maybe just go back a little bit and, and make the fans feel welcome. Because right now it's, it's like there's all these rules in place. Forget the rules that California and LA County put in place. It's, it's kind of the stuff that USC does on top of that. That just, it's not a, going to the game isn't fun right now. Obviously they're not winning, but it just seems like it's more of a chore than, than actual, than an actual experience. All right, Eric, is it a chore? Uh, well, you know, we get, we get a pretty good view in the press box uh, and you know, we're there. So I, I can't speak to kind of individual fans that are doing that. A, a couple of things that I've seen, I, I love the idea when, when SC has that night game, um, there's uh, the, the peristyle means so much to the Coliseum. I, I'd love to see that thing kind of lit up from the inside. I, I know it, it seems like looking at it, it's, it's maybe lit from the outside, but putting a, a focal point on that, especially for night games, I, I think could, could kind of light up the interior there. But I think ultimately, since you really, I mean, you, you cut our legs and, and pretty much our whole, whole torso out from under us by not saying improved play on the field. That, that That's not my, my whole uh, thought there, but I really like the idea of USC bringing back some former players. The The pool there is so deep and, and maybe as deep as any program uh, in the country. When, when you get a guy like, when you get a guy like Carson Palmer coming back and that's for a specific reason, it was for college football hall of fame induction and they were going to do a presentation between the first and second quarter they had him on pregame and they did some stuff with him. Boy, it, it feels like you could roll out four or five guys like that for every game during a home season. It's six, maybe seven games that you have to fill there. You can go pretty deep bringing guys back and, and do it in a variety of ways. You know, maybe get one of them to come out of the tunnel. Another guy can do, um, you know, a, a quick interview with the head coach before, ask him a question. Guys could kind of be, you know, around the stadium and in various places, it, it feels like there's such a pool there that you could go to. Uh, and, and you just, you, you don't get that sense, you know, up the tunnel, you've got kind of that mural where you see some of the guys, you certainly, you know, the, the Heisman uh, trophy winners, the, those jerseys there, 
uh, the Paris Island. Th those are big, but feels like that's kind of tip of the iceberg for what USC could do to connect fans with, with former players and, and all the history there. Well, those are all good ideas. I will chime in with a couple that I have that I, that I think I like the lighting up the peristyle at night. That would, uh, I hope Mike Bone and uh, Brandon Sosna are listening to our brilliant ideas here. Uh, you know, they could have a free beer night. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a possibility. Um, but I think that a couple of my ideas were, and I think Kevin, you might be able to relate to this. Um, I think it was 1973 uh, in that time period where they used to introduce the players, one of the units offensively or defensive players, uh, player by player uh, that yeah. you see in NFL games. Do you remember that Kev? I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I do. And you are correct. Those, those years, and I don't know how plus or minus 73, but clearly th th that year and others, we were introduced. Um, typically, Coach McKay would want to introduce uh, seniors versus starters, uh, whether it was offense or defense. So that was a point of distinction that he took, which was actually pretty interesting, I thought. Yeah, I think that if, you know, uh, especially for a night game, if you spotlighted the players running onto the field, uh, that would uh, give a different. I would uh, I take Mark's uh, idea of bringing back Eminem uh, to, uh, you know, bring the entire unit on. Um, I, I think also what they could do as I look at my notes here, uh, they can get rid of that DJ before the game. I know that's probably popular with uh, today's kids, but I personally, uh, I think it sucks, but, uh, that's just an old person's viewpoint of it. Um, I would like to see outside the Coliseum or inside the, the walking area, uh, statues of, of great USC legendary players or even athletes. Now, I know that would cost some money, but then again, uh, when I see that statue in front of the McKay Center with John McKay there, and I go, wow, that's great. Uh, how about some statues like that? I know, in, uh, and we'll talk about this next week about Notre Dame and such, that, uh, you know, when you go to Notre Dame, it's Notre Dame Stadium has many statues that surround the stadium. Uh, Newt Rockney, Lou Holtz, uh, some of the players, and it really does add an ambiance to it. Um, I, I also think that uh, they need to get the band more involved sometimes uh, in some areas. I would honestly, I'd like to see the band be behind the USC bench. I think they're out there in Tuleysville, uh, kind of like a sideshow, and I think they deserve better than that. Uh, after all, I think that's where a lot of teams would put USC on road games, let alone their own home games. So that, those are just some of my ideas. And I think that, uh, you know, there's others that we can discuss at a, at a later uh, period of time. So um, we're going to move on to the third quarter. And this is kind of an overall thing about where USC is. We know what this season's all about. Uh, we know how it's going and we're hoping it doesn't. The second half, it doesn't mirror or get worse than the first half, but Guys, how does this USC season at the midway point compare with any other seasons of the last 10 years? And uh, let's start off uh, here with Eric. How do, you, how do you see it? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, it's kind of a, a you know, bizarro world greatest hits of what, of what we've seen in the last 10 years. It's just a, a, a combination of so many things. I mean, you, you got the, the coaching change uh, partway through the season, and, and that's the, the third time uh, that we've seen that. You've got kind of the the defensive breakdowns that we've seen you've got kind of getting off to, to a slow start, but I, I think this season feels different than anything that we've seen the, the last 10 years. Um, this season feels like such a crossroads uh, right now where you have this decision to be made at the end of the year. That is that, that feels like it's going to dictate the next I don't know, 15, 20 years of, of USC football, um, potentially and, and potentially more than that. And I don't know if if I have felt kind of the the weight um, of that in any season. And I also don't think that USC has gotten off to as bad of a start in conference to where you're here halfway through the season and the season's done. Even even when USC got off to that one and three start uh, 2016, you, you still had kind of thought like, okay, you, you write the ship and, and you can still win the South. That loss, to, that loss to Utah, I think, made this year, just in terms of on the field, feel different than, than the last uh, decade where you just there's, – there's just no real reason to believe that they're going to find an answer. You, you can hope for it, but the idea that, okay, they can still turn this around and, and get something going to where – the season can be viewed as a success, you know, at, at the end of it, uh, that, that makes this one feel a, a little bit different. All right. Uh, Mark, how about you? I know you have some great uh, retrospective on where we are today compared to the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, the, the, the internal optimist optimist in me when the season started was there was a, a small glimmer of hope uh, that, because the schedule was set up the right way, you had the right mixture of personnel. You were playing the same offensive system and defensive system two years in a row going into a second year, or at least with the defense, that <clears throat> they would have been better off. You know, they would have come out of the gate much better than they have. And they've just been progressively getting worse. So when you have that hope, and then that's immediately ripped away from you, and then the, you know, not just knowing that they were going to make a decision at the end of the year with the coaching staff. And it was made literally at the beginning of the year after two games. Um, yeah. This sets this season apart different from not just the last decade, but I don't know. You can go back a long time with, with that. I mean, even Paul Hackett made it through the end of his year his, when it was done. Clay Helton didn't even survive it. So uh, you, you just hope going forward as I mentioned, you know, we have, we're, we're mostly through the conference. We've got two more out of conference games coming up that, you know, hopefully USC can find their way in two weeks to have some luck on their side, Kevin. I, I know you're not looking forward to it, but again, that's the optimist in me. Um, it's, it's again, it's hold on and just get through the season and, and maybe, you know, I know this. They're going to use the bye week uh, to kind of look at the younger players and have a scrimmage. Well, let, let's see if 
they implement some more personnel changes after the bye week. Otherwise, if you don't, uh, that trust factor that I spoke about earlier, it, it's just going to continue to to frazzle. So okay, yeah. uh, Kev, your thoughts? Well, um, you know, th this team is a, a team unto itself. There, there. I don't think that I've seen in my uh, watching lifetime. Uh, a team of this type, uh, it not only regrettably plays poorly uh, any number of times, too many times, and points are rolled up on them. There were substantial portions of the game, and I'm speaking specifically of the defense, where the defense quit, and you could see it. It wasn't everybody, but it doesn't take everybody. It takes one and then two, and then three, and then, then you have a total train wreck because your defense is built that way. You, it, it requires all 11 players to play. And it's an assignment, should be an assignment-based uh, situation. So when I look at this team, I go, look, as I said earlier, right now for this season, it's triage. For what comes next, that's what this year is all about, this season. The rest of the season is all about. It's about – what comes next? Uh, and, and look, I'd love to think that we're going to go into South Bend and play a heck of a game and walk away with a W. But I got to tell you what, we, we, could, we could be one of the best teams in the country. And going into South Bend, you're, you're down 14 points right from the get-go. That's how tough that place is to play. And this team, many of these players have never been to South Bend to play football against Notre Dame. And they're going to – you think Utah's tough? Really? <laughs> oh, my gracious. So, okay, look, uh, you, you take what you have. You look at it to Mark's point. Look, you got a bye week. What are you going to do with that? Well, you got to get some guys healed up. Okay, fine. That's obvious. But you're going to take some look at, at other players that might be able to produce it are uh, uh, younger, uh, have an opportunity to, to play. Uh, some of these seasoned veterans, I tell you what, our safety play right now, I'm not going to use names but is, is the worst I've ever seen. And I mean it, the worst I have ever seen. And I'm an old guy. That could be, that could be rectified to some extent by putting in other players that are willing to don't make some mistakes. We're making them anyways. Might as well get some mistakes done at high speed, right? As, a, as an example. I'd love to see those kinds of things through the, through the bye week. Um, what I don't want to see is Jackson Dart brought into uh, a position to contribute in South Bend when his knee's not ready. All right. Well, let me uh, go back and give you my perspective on it. How does this USC season at the midway point compare with seasons of the past 10 years? I don't think we've ever seen a season like this, but I will say it's a culmination of the last 10 seasons. It's been a drip, drip, drip. Uh, I don't want to give any away any, uh, uh, how shall I say it, uh, previews of my column on Friday for the obvious, not so obvious, uh, shameless hint. Uh, but uh, the blame game is going to begin. And you can start all the way back to Max Nikias. And uh, I pretty much lay it out there. Uh, you know, people are going to say, man, I read it to my girlfriend a little bit and she was, holy mackerel. Uh, and I said, is there anything that I 
true? And she goes, no, it's all true. And that's the sad part. It isn't trying to like stretch it or point it in a direction. It's basically uh, historical facts. But I've never seen a USC season compared to the other 10 or, uh, you know, been dismissed in early part the second i mean if you're gonna fire the guy in the second game after game or what happened why did you even hit back in the first place uh that's ludicrous to me uh but it's been a series uh, of the last 10 years of one mismanagement adult decision after another it's almost comical what do they say truth is stranger than than fiction uh you know, I mean, the Sarkeesian thing, the Kiffin firing, uh, you know, the three three coaches in one season, uh, you know, and I and, the, and then we go with the kids. I mean, I don't you know, it's not often that I think that USC football players, um, you know, quit. Uh, I think as a former coach myself for a long time, you know, you teach your players that you go to the end four quarters. You're going to fight on. And we're not seeing that. I think there are players on this team. When I look at the last 10 years, I think there's players on this team that love football, that they're going to play even if SC is 0-9 because they love football. There are other players that like football, which means if they're stimulated at any particular time in the game or the game is on the line in the last quarter, then they'll start playing. They're stop and start players, and you can't win that way. And then you have players now that are probably saying to themselves, well, you know what, I'm going to get my SC degree and I think I'm just ready to go out in the workforce and uh, whatever happens, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I got my scholarship and what have you. And when you break it down that way, uh, it's hard to have a successful team. So, yes, I think this is compared to the other 10 years, a culmination of the previous nine. And it's a, it is a sad state of affairs. Uh, I know personally for me, uh, like I've said many times, I've been following these guys since 1962 as a 12-year-old, and now I'm into the, you know, decade number seven, and I go, it makes me freaking angry to think that I have watched SC at its very best. I thought I had seen them at their very worst, but this is pretty bad. And to all the older gray hairs like myself, it's infuriating, even though maybe not, we're not throwing shoes out the window and, uh, you know, lighting up streets on fire. It's it's a, a bad situation, but it is what it is at this point in time. So let's head into the uh, fourth quarter and try to turn our attention to, uh, first, let's mentally light the Coliseum torch. Uh, how does this bye week help in preparing the Trojans for their big game at Notre Dame on October 23rd? Uh, Mark, what do you think? Uh, this is a huge week, just mentally. Uh, forget about, you know, giving the, some of the guys time off to, to kind of heal their wounds and so forth. Um, they need to use this week to get everybody back on the same page, point in the same direction. Uh, some of the stuff you, you know, you hear about after these games, it kind of, kind of sends shivers up your spine a little bit, you know, from a fan perspective. Uh, from the media perspective, you'd never think you'd hear some of the things you, you're hearing. Um, it's not just the players who aren't maybe all on the same page. Uh, it might be the staff as well. And, you know, some of that's to be expected. You know, their, their futures are unknown right now, other than they know they'll, they won't be coaching at USC next year. Um, but they need to make sure that 
and I don't know how Dante can do this. Um, the changes that needs that he's trying to incorporate, he needs to make sure that it's coming across as, as honest. Because I think right now it's, there's a lot of words, and there's the actions need to be able to back it up. And so far during his tenure, I don't think he's done that. So, you know, I touched on it earlier. If you're going to have the scrimmage, you're going to take a look at the younger guys and figure out who can contribute going forward. You have to use them going forward. You know, maybe take Drake London out for a couple of series, you know, during the game and see what the guys can do um, for the betterment of the team. So, I, I, you know, again, going forward right now, it's get the team back on the same page. Know that this is the, you know, they have a chance to take something that was really, that's been really bad, beat Notre Dame in South Bend. And it it won't salvage the season, but it's something to build off of. Well, I think that you make a good case for that, Kev. What would uh, how do you how do you deal with this bye week, and how do you prepare? Yeah, it's uh, you really got to pick your poison. Coach Don Williams has to think about what he wants to do, and let's face it. Uh, Coach Williams was not prepared to be head football coach at University of Southern California. All right. And he'd be probably one of the first guys to tell you that. Right. Um, so you take a step back. And as I said earlier, you, you got to focus on the things that I can fix and the things that I just I, I really we're not going to be able to, to change uh, uh, certain things. Example would be you going to put in a new offense. No, obviously not. We got what we have, we have. We can emphasize some things differently. We can put in some blocking schemes that might be a little different. That's what I would do. Uh, I would put in some blocking schemes where I would have some fun. I would get Gibbs on the field as an H-back and have him do some inside trap blocks because, frankly, the rest of the team would find it hilarious and a lot of fun, and he probably would pancake about two or three guys from time to time. I mean, but it would be fun. It would be, it would put some excitement into a team that really – uh, would help them. And, and from a practice perspective, uh, that makes the practice a little bit more uh, enthusiastic uh, as well. Uh, there, there clearly is a need for some, uh, you're rolling in some of the younger guys, but I tell you what, there's a need to bring some of these uh, more veteran players who are not producing and just say, look, guys, um, your, your job we hear all the time about how it's competition, competition, competition. Then I see the same guys playing and starting. That, that, that's, that's inconsistent to what Mark was saying earlier. Uh, what I would want to see is, is, you know, some people earn younger people who have played hard, practice hard, prepared hard. They're going to make some mistakes, but I'd rather see mistakes at full speed than what we're seeing right now. And I think this week gives an opportunity to do that. And then, of course, there's a healing uh, side of things. Um, bye weeks are very funny. They're, they're, it's tough to get super excited when you're not, when you're, you don't have a game to play, but on the other hand, after having been throttled, uh, there's such a bad taste in your mouth and that just lingers, lingers, lingers. And this team has got to, to pick up the, the, the pace here and say, look, we can, you know, you sit around crying in our beer or we can go, go get something done. They haven't demonstrated the ability to have done that so far this season, and they need to. And they have a huge challenge coming up in a couple of weeks, week and a half or so. Eric? 
Yeah, the, the bye week is interesting, especially when you consider Notre Dame uh, at the tail end of it, where, where you're kind of doing two things at once. And it's, to me, listening to Dante Williams in that Sunday media call, it's it's concerning a little bit when he talks about, you know, at the end of that Utah game, we didn't go to Miller Moss because we're still trying to win that game. And, and this is, you're talking about taking over a, you know, a drive when you're down you know, 20 something points uh, toward the end of the game. And, and you just, it's not giving up, it's not quitting, but it is kind of reimagining and, and, and refocusing yourself on a bigger picture rather than just that one. I mean, when you are trying to, you know, score with a minute, 50 seconds left or 50 seconds left or, or whatever that was at the end, and you're still throwing it with your starting quarterback, that's kind of that same thing where you're talking about now pre- get, figuring out how to handle this bye week and also Notre Dame. I don't think that you can just say, let's play all of our, our freshmen and all of our young players against Notre Dame. I do think you need to prep with the guys you trust and, and the guys that have, have, I don't want to say the guys that have gotten you here because that's not a positive thing right now, but the, those guys that, that you trust I think that you're fine to go ahead and go into Notre Dame with those guys, see what you can do, see if you can right the ship a little bit. And I don't think you just roll out a bunch of young guys there. That being said, this bye week, you do have to start getting those guys ready because you do, I think, have to shift your focus from, you know, how can we have the best 2021 season to how can we best prepare this program for the future and start seeing what those young guys can do. And I honestly, you, you kind of take your shot against Notre Dame. If things don't go well there, you've got what seems like a pretty soft landing spot the next week hosting Arizona. Boy, I'd certainly expect again, if, if you do lose to Notre Dame to run out a ton of young guys against Arizona. And so I, I think that's, hopefully what this bye week can do here is you really do get a sense of, of, what some of the younger guys do and, and if you can trust them, you know, throwing them, them out there and into a game. But again, I, I certainly, you know, I wouldn't expect eight, nine freshmen to, to start or anything like that against Notre Dame, but, but I'd love to see kind of Dante Williams sort of wrapping his head around that, that balance of what can you actually do this year? And is it beneficial long-term to the program to put everything into you know, the, the end of the fourth quarter of these games or the rest of the season when maybe it is it is more beneficial for the long-term health of USC. Hey, let's see what else is here and, and let's get some of these other guys, you know, some some game experience. Because that, that's one of the major knocks on Clay Helton when he didn't blow out bad teams often enough or, or when he didn't get out to big leads. There are so, if you go back, you talked about, uh, one, one of the things you threw out comparing the last 10 years and Clay Helton wasn't the head coach for all 10 years. But when you start thinking about the number of lost reps for young guys in games like that, that they didn't have the experience because they couldn't get out to a big lead and, and they couldn't put teams away that starts adding up. And, and that absolutely takes a toll on your program. So if this year is going to be a lost year in terms of you can't fight for a, a PAC 12 South championship, you can't fight for a, a conference championship, and again, it's, it's not mathematically done at this point, but looks likely. If it's going to be that kind of year, you do have to start thinking about 22 and 23 and 24 and, and down the road and how you can get guys ready to contribute then. 
Well, I tell you what, uh, you know, you you can take a look at this uh, question and uh, look at it from different perspectives. I'm going to put on my uh, my hat when I was uh, getting my master's degree in athletic administration and coaching, and that is to look at the bye week. In my opinion, isn't so much about the physical changes or switches. It's about the emotional state of the team. Uh, this should be a time when the team gets together and has those proverbial meetings. This is the time when the coaching staff gets together and say, hey, what, what are we doing good? What are we really not doing good? What are we changes can we make emotionally with this team? Now, obviously, if you change some players on the field, you change the emotion of the team. Uh, but that's not a bad thing if you take players and say, look, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of one player I like, Kevin, will keep the player nameless, uh, but on the defensive end of the, of the spectrum, uh, and said, look, you're just not doing the job. Uh, you know, it, uh, we're going to put somebody else in there. It sends a big message to the team emotionally, like, whoa, they're willing to make changes. It's all about a mindset. And I would say uh, if they went into Notre Dame, uh, one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to have one of the greatest upsets in the history of the series, uh, which will be a huge Band-Aid on a broken artery, or they're going to go behind Chris Fowler's woodshed and get the living this, that, and the other thing kicked out of them. Uh, and they're going to have to decide. And uh, all of us have been to Notre Dame. Uh, we know, uh, I mean, I've seen the highs and I've seen the lows. And I know one thing, when that Notre Dame uh, uh, fans start yelling, uh, you know, here come the Irish and uh, they start playing, you know, all the Irish songs that they do, the clog and you know, the victory march. I mean, if you're losing, it's like, can I just crawl into a fetal position? Somebody put me on a wheelbarrow, cover me up and wheel me out of that little tunnel that leads into the stadium. It is a horrifying experience. Um, I would hope that uh, emotionally this team can get it together this week and then do what they do. I mean, how much can you change, really? Uh, it's all about attitude. I mean, how many times have you heard teachers say it's your attitude? That's what's causing you not to learn or what have you. It's the same thing here. I think Dante Williams is in a no-win situation. He's, he's going to tell people that are supposed to be his superiors, not only in position, but financially, this is what, you know, this is what you're going to do. I can't see him telling Todd Orlando, here's what you're going to do. And uh, I think he emphasizes the running a little bit more in the games uh, on for uh, Todd Harrell. And maybe we see a little bit of it, but I'll tell you, the day of wrecking is going to be on October 23rd when the Trojans uh, march, walk, skip into South Bend, Indiana. And I don't even know, I, you know, I, I'm not even sure that Dante Williams has ever been to Notre Dame. I mean, that's another factor. I mean, if you've never coached at Notre Dame and you walk onto that field, uh, believe me, uh, and if they're rolling, and I'll tell you what, as goofy as their season has been, you talk about emotions. Hey, I'll tell you what, what would be better if you're a Notre Dame football player than to kick the living crap out of USC, your arch rival? Uh, it may not get you to the uh, college football playoffs, but I'll tell you what will get you a lot of satisfaction for the 2021 season, I can tell you that. And Kevin, you've been on both sides of the fence. You've been on the very highs and the very lows, and you know what the feeling is on both sides. Yeah. So. Well, I tell you what, I've, I've played in uh, 
at South Bend twice against Notre Dame, lost one game. By the way, the score was close, so it wasn't like it was a blowout and it was we were competitive and trying to win toward the end. Didn't quite get there. And it was miserable, totally miserable, to your point, Greg. Um, conversely, uh, in my senior year, we went back there and beat uh, a Joe Montana-led South uh, Notre Dame team, and that feels a whole lot better. But it it just it takes more than what I think this team even knows about. They've not experienced it. They don't. They have no visceral understanding of of, of what's involved. Um, but the only way you get that is going out and do it. Uh, you know, and there it is. And I, I'd love to be the optimistic and say, yeah, I see it coming. Yeah, no, I don't. But, you know, the game's still on the schedule. We're going to show up and we're going to kick the ball off. We're going to go play. So there is that opportunity. It's not a zero chance. Okay. Well, that and that leads me into uh, just a kind of quick wrap up on this is uh, next week for the uh, Inside the Trojans Huddle. Because it's a bye week, we're going to take next week to really have a what I would call an inside the Trojans huddle Notre Dame special. Everything you want to know uh, from a player's perspective, a fan's perspective, the Notre Dame weekender, what that's like. And I think it's something that everybody's going to enjoy. So well, on that note, the bell tells us it's time to wrap it up with the overtime period, our Pac-12 predictions. Of course, USC and Oregon State have buys this week. So we're going to go uh, with the panel here, and we're going to first start off on Friday night, uh, this Friday, another strange Friday night game in the Pac-12, Friday night at night or whatever they call the darn thing. Cal is at Oregon. It's a 7.30 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. Oregon is favored by 13.5 points. Mark Culkin, what do you think about that prediction? Sure. Uh, I haven't seen enough of Cal. I've seen enough of them to know that, their offense is worse than USC's offense. Just it's worse in a different way. Um, so I, I think Oregon will do enough to to win at home, okay, even, even with all their injury deficiencies right now. You got it. Yeah, I, I I'd have to say they're going to do a little bit more than just win at home. I think it's going to be ugly, and poor Cal is going to have to find a different way to get home. Eric, are they going to have to get a roadmap out and a GPS and find their way home? What do you think? You know, Oregon's injuries are going to catch up with them eventually, but Cal, Cal seems bad, bad. That, that, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen this week. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I think that, you know, 13 and a half points might be too uh, too small because I don't think Cal's offense is enough uh, at Autzen Stadium to to make it interesting in the second half. So I, I think Oregon's going to uh, win going away. Let's turn to Saturday, October 16th. Arizona at Colorado, 12.30 p.m., Pac-12 Networks. Colorado's favored by seven and a half. Mark, what say you? First team that scores wins. Sounds reasonable to me. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? I like Colorado. Okay. The altitude is their 12th, their 12th player. Reasonable. Eric? Yeah, I think we have the two Pac-12 games of the of the year. Uh, th- this is one of them. You you got the the fight for the top and the fight for the bottom. I I, I like Colorado. You know they're at home. Arizona just had the the quarterback uh, injury news. Um, so yeah, yeah. You know, I suppose in in college one team's got to win. So so I'll go with Colorado. 
Well, it, it does sound like an elimination game for the seller. Uh, so I, I am going to pick, uh, I think if the game was at Arizona, I might give Arizona a chance, but it's at Colorado. So I'm going to say the high altitude will suck some of the desert breath out of Arizona. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with Colorado, uh, seven and a half, but it's really, it's, uh, it's a meaningless game in my opinion. Uh, here's one that's interesting. Stanford at, at Washington state, 4.30 PM ESPNU Stanford two point favorite. Uh, Mark, do you agree with those odds? Yeah, that's a, that's so, it's an odd game. I mean, just when you think Oregon state has kind of figured it out, you know, they ran into their nemesis in Pullman and they lost. So, um, I'm where's that game being played at, at Pullman in Pullman. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to have, I'm, I'm going to take the underdog. I'm going to go with, with the Cougs. All righty. Kevin, are you going for the yeah, Cougs? No, I go with the trees on that one. All right. Trees over, over the Cougars. Uh, yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, Eric. Yeah. I, I think Washington state with Jane Delora at, at quarterback, that that's, is that, a different program and that's like going from an NAIA school to a to an FBS school that that is such an upgrade for them I, I think uh I, I think Washington State can can beat Sanford um you know I agree I think that DeLorean really is the key to that team I mean he was uh, obviously a big factor last week in the upset uh against um uh Oregon State uh but you know what the Stanford is to me always a fascinating team uh, Shaw's a good coach. Uh, I'm going to go with Stanford uh, because if they if, if uh, Deloria gets knocked out of that game somehow, uh, they're in a heap of trouble. So uh, you know, Washington State will put up a good fight, but I'm I'm picking the the trees. Uh, I don't know. I'm still having trouble after all these years not calling the Stanford Indians. But then again, I understand where we are in today's world. Um, all right, perhaps the uh, second most intriguing game of the weekend is uh, the Westwooders, a.k.a. UCLA, at Washington. That's 5.30 p.m. on Fox. Uh, UW is a two-point favorite. Uh, how do you see it, uh, Mr. Culkin? Uh, I'm kind of with you, Greg. I think UW has turned the corner. They found their identity. They're at home. UCLA is who they are. And so go Huskies. All right. The barking dogs. Uh, Kevin, are the dogs going to bark? Uh, this is one of those games where, gosh, I'd sure like to see Washington do well. But uh, I see uh, the baby blues uh, pulling this one out. Well, Eric, are the baby blues going to pull it out? No, I think Washington wins that. Uh, at home, you you always get that kind of UCLA swoon after good starts. I, I think this continues it. Um, you know, I think Washington is a very unpredictable team like UCLA. Um, there's times when I think Washington is not bad, and there's times when I think that they are bad. Uh, UCLA has a lot to prove. This could be the crossroads game for them and maybe Chip Kelly down the road. Uh I keep thinking that UCLA is going to find it. I think if UCLA gets the lead, they're going to win. Okay, well, you know, obviously, well, if they get the lead, they're going to win. They have more points. But I think emotionally, if they're in that second half and Husky Stadium is quieted a little bit, 
which is hard to do. Uh, I think UCLA has a good chance. So I'm going to make a fool out of myself, not the first time. I'm going to go with UCLA on this one. And we'll see how that goes. So that'll be an interesting one. Now, the key game as far as the Pac-12 South uh, is going to be ASU at Utah. And boy, the odds makers, um, that game, by the way, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, uh, ASU is a one-point favorite. Uh, you know, I I think that that's uh, – I got to hear what this panel has to say. What, what do you think about it, Mark? I got Utah. Um, they're back at home. They're coming off their their big win in LA in over a hundred years. Uh, they're also riding a little bit of that Aaron Lowe emotion still. Uh, and yeah, they, they know that they they control their own destiny destiny for the Pac-12 South. So beating ASU is you know that's up there on their their checkoff list. So yeah, I, I got Utah actually winning easily at home wow easily all right kevin are they going to win easily no i think uh asu also controls the destiny of the south so it's 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 you know one versus two you know if you will um i think uh what we saw from uh utah against uh uh this past uh, saturday you know i, I was I have to say, I was not overly impressed with the the, the whole setup of their offense. I I was uh, more impressed, lack of, with our inability to defend it, making a pretty good quarterback, but not a great quarterback, look fantastic. Almost 80% completion percentage. Are you kidding me? We're not going to see, they're not going to see that in Utah. Now, Utah is a tough, you know, uh, Rice Eccles, a tough place to play. Okay, I understand that. Um, I see Arizona State winning. I think it's uh, like a last possession type win. You know, I'll give it that. And uh, and I just, uh, there's no, you know, I have no animus toward the Utah necessarily. I, would, I, I just think Arizona State is also in control of their destiny and has uh, really plays a really good football. There are some external factors that could uh, hit home. And, you know, that's an unknown, so I don't, I don't factor that into my, uh, my prediction there. Eric, what do you factor into your prediction? Uh, yeah, ultimately, I think Arizona State wins there. I think, you know, like, like what Mark was saying with the emotional stuff, I, I think at a certain point that could be a difficult thing. You know, your first home game after the, the Aaron Lowe um, tragedy and, and you're coming off they, they, they put so much emotion into that win against USC and you kind of see it all the time. Teams jump up, they beat SC and then they have that, that lull, I guess that, that down week uh, coming off of that Utah, they shouldn't, they, they should be ready. Like, like you're saying the Pac-12 South as open as it's been. And, and when that's been the case, Utah uh, has, has been one of those teams to step up and, and win the South, but uh, it's asking a lot for them to put, back-to-back emotional games together and, and win that at home. Everything, you know, night game at Rice Heckles and, and against Arizona State, everything points to that being a, a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, but Arizona State, I think, is playing well. They've got that run game, and, and if Jaden Daniels, you know, has a good game, I, I think, like Kevin's saying, you can maybe expect a step back 
from Cameron Rising, the Utah quarterback. And if that happens, Arizona State, I think, is good enough to win there. Well, I'll tell you what. I have flip-flopped listening to you uh, gentlemen give your perspectives. And I've actually been going both ways listening to it. But I'll tell you, Rice-Eccles Stadium is a really a pit. And I've been there so many times. Uh, it's <laughs> an amazing place when it's rocking. And it is, it'll be rocking. I think about Utah. Are they the team of destiny uh, with all the tragedy? Uh, if they play their style of ball, they're going to win. Uh, ASU is one of the teams that can match Utah physically. Uh, they outdo them. Uh, the ASU running backs are really tough. Uh, you never know what Jaden Daniels is going to do with the football. Uh, but if he got knocked out of the game, that's good. That could change the equation. Uh, it's really well, what team is going to be most consistent with what they do. And uh, if it was an ASU, I would say uh, ASU is going to win. But if you if you talk and play their style of ball uh, and eat the clock at the same time, I think that ASU uh, could be very frustrated. Uh, ASU has a good secondary, uh, but I think uh, you know this this could be the Utah's year uh, in terms they you know they they they're I don't think they're going to have a letdown. That's my opinion. So with that in mind, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and I'm going to go with Utah because I think that ASU will play inconsistent through four quarters. They'll look really great sometimes and they'll look really stupid others. And I think Utah knows who they are and what they are and they will, they will eke it out some way, somehow, and the zoo, uh, uh, maze or moths or whatever they call themselves, will go wild when they do. So... All right. Well, listen, guys, uh, and thank you to all of you, all the listeners, uh, all of the people that have been supporting the uh, Inside the Trojan Huddle on YouTube and various other social platforms and those, of course, on WeRSC.com, the website. Uh, a reminder again that USC has a bye week this week, but we'll return to action at Notre Dame on October 23rd. And a reminder again, next Tuesday, we'll have a special Notre Dame edition of WeRSC's Inside the Trojan Huddle. So until next Tuesday, I want to thank the panel. I want to thank our on three technician, Jake Evans, and thank all of you for watching and listening wherever you may be. And remember, folks, uh, there's still a half a season to play. A lot of things that are still uh, low-hanging fruit, hopefully, for the Trojans. And until then, fight on, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.